You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey, guess what? I'm back. That's right, it's me, your toes again. And I have a newsflash for you, Alpine climbers. Us guys in our toenails, well, we're kind of the same crew, if you know what I'm saying. So mess with one, you mess with the other. And bashing your toenails black and blue or even straight off in some godforsaken pair of ill-fitting boots stupid. Not only does it hurt like hell, but what's that Tinder date going to say when it's sexy time and they get a load of them feet? Suddenly it's late, we're tired, and we're furiously checking our phones for that Uber. Where's that goddamn Uber? So listen, a pair of sick high-tech mount boots from Sportiva, and maybe a little technique, is all you're going to need to keep me and my crew happy and healthy. Sportiva's full line of alpine and ice climbing boots are made in Italy by men and women whose life dream it is to keep you comfy and calm when you're run out above your last decent piece, kicking that sestrugi for all your worth. Mmm, sestrugi. Sounds like something my mama used to make. So go to sportiva.com or your favorite local shop to check out all the best mountain boots on the planet. And remember, tell them your toes sent you. Black Diamond has a marketing problem on their hands. Too many CAM acronyms and abbreviations. The C4, the Z4, the C3, the X4, the C3PO, and the R2-D2. Oh, hey Disney lawyers. Scrap those last two. Anyway, their problem is your gain, because the reason for all the gobbledygook is that Black Diamond refuses to stop refining their CAMs. In the last five years, old C4s became the ultralight C4s, 30% lighter, and 30% spread out over a rack is pounds, people. And then, seemingly for the hell of it, the old C4s became the new, better, 10% lighter C4s. Yeah, they took their best-selling and standard-setting cam and made it better. Why? Because they love you crack climbers and the cheap dirt bags. Then the X4s and the C3s became the better, lighter, more agile Z4s. And then, they all come in offsets, too. How many of those do they even sell? So how do you keep track of it all? You really only need to keep track of the fact that the climber engineers at BD can't stop, won't stop making their cams better, so the next time you're in the creek or anywhere else plugging gear, you're set up for yet another best day ever. So go to blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop for a look at the astounding array of best protection money can buy. And hell, it wouldn't hurt for you to place a nut once in a while either. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the... uh... Enormo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big place that side of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold so it out. I'll say, you really should. What the hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. I was afraid to end on Europe, and I'm cutting it out. Enormo.com. Enormo. 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 Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show.
Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is February 17th, about 10.30 p.m. here in Colorado, and this is episode 214 of the Enormacast, a conversation with Pete Whitaker. And of course, you probably know Pete Whitaker as one half of the Wide Boys with Tom Randall. So yeah, it's February, folks. I have no idea what's going on in the climbing world other than Sean Villanueva O'Driscoll took his long last name and crushed an even longer traverse, the Fitz Traverse, down in Patagonia, solo, for his 40th birthday. Insane. I wonder if that guy would do the show. I've never really thought of him as a talker. He sort of, I don't know, doesn't really play that role in uh, in his media, but maybe so. Get in touch. I know that people are climbing in our climbing gym, and I'm going to the desert, and that's kind of the extent of my knowledge of what's happening out there in the world of rock climbing, mountaineering, alpinism in February of 2021. Hopefully people are out there having a good time. So on the last episode of the Enormacast, an interview with Chelsea Mern from Lady Beta Coaching, we got a little out there, far afield for the Enormacast. On the, uh, there were jokes online, some of them mine, about uh, yeah how we had treaded into territory that the Enormacast doesn't normally tread, which is good. It's good to explore new avenues, new attitudes towards climbing. But this one, this one with Pete Whitaker is very climby. We're back to uh, the good old Normacast form, talking deeply in the weeds about climbing. But it goes from there, and we get a long look at Pete's career, and man, this guy can climb. He's a really excellent, excellent climber. He's a good, scary route climber. He's an Brilliant crack climber, brilliant off-with climber. He's a big wall climber. And one of the things that he's done that just still boggles my mind, even after doing this interview and talking to him about it, is that he soloed, he rope soloed the free rider in a day, in 24 hours. I don't know what his exact time was. I don't care because it's an incredible thing to happen. And we talk a bit about the technical parts of it, how he got it done, but even after this interview, I kind of like laid awake at night trying to conceive of how a person moves their body up and down and up and down and up and down. What is probably, even if you're doing shenanigans, like 30 pitches and uh, just just the physical nature of doing that, whether you're an excellent climber or not, you still have to move molecules from one place to another in time space. And to do that on a rope solo rig, which is a pain in the ass and to climb 513 on that rope solo rig and then clean those pitches and jug up those pitches and get set up and do it again that many times in 24 hours is I just don't know how it gets done. Even with my experience on those routes and with soloing eight climbs on a rope and I don't know, it's just an incredible feat of uh, physics, frankly. He's also climbed 514 on gear on several occasions, including Recovery Drink, which I think is the hardest route on gear in the world at 14D. There actually aren't that many 514 gear routes in the world. I think there's probably more 514 sport routes just in Rifle, Colorado, than all of the uh, combined 514 pitches on gear in the world. I'd be willing to make that bet. I'm, I'm just pulling that out of my ass, but... I'd be willing to make that bet if somebody wants to uh, to do that. 
you know, for a few bucks, a couple bucks, a couple beers, whatever. But anyhow, I think he's one of the few people, maybe three people to climb 514 off with. I think there's only one of the, anyway, whatever. We're getting into the weeds already. What the hell? So anyhow, but the more important thing is he's got a great attitude, got a great sense of humor, um, is open to adventure. And I think the lesson he brings to us today is that, yeah, it helps to be really talented. And talent is maybe something that you cultivate. Maybe it's something you're born with. I don't know. But in Pete's case, there's also this ingredient that we could all muster, which is his determination and his preparation. The guy prepares for attempting the goals that he has in a way that, I I mean, I've almost never heard of. I think that's an inspiration to everybody. You want to do awesome things. You want to achieve your goals. Then the more preparation you do, the better. They aren't going to come easy. So yeah, hope you guys enjoy this one. A deep, climby conversation with one half of the wide boys. The other half from my interview with Tom Randall last year, Pete Whitaker. Let's talk a little bit right away about Crack Climbing book. I don't know. It's been out for for a little while now, um, and it's been in you know something that you've had in your media for a while with the wide boys and everything else. So, tell me a little bit about the impetus to write that book, and also uh, a little bit about what you know its goals are in terms of if a person buys it, what were your intent uh, with with somebody who's getting into that crack climbing book. The crack climbing book. I think it came out in January 2020 officially. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess the reason why I wrote it, uh, it kind of came from all the crack school classes and crack workshops that um, myself and Tom have done in the past. And Mm -hmm. I sort of, you know, always remember kind of finishing these things and people would always come up to ask you that there'd always be so many more questions afterwards because we'd only be able to give like an, an hour and a half of time to these people. And then I think it was actually my dad who suggested to me, oh, you should write a book. And the whole thing seemed a bit daunting at the time, you know, <laughs> like write a book. Like, where, where do I even start with that? But like with any of these things, you know, they kind of like, yeah, they, they grow and the, the idea grows. And then suddenly I found myself like contacting a publisher and then the publisher were keen. And then suddenly I was, you know writing a book basically <laughs> yeah uh, and that's kind of how 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 that came about and i guess my goal for doing it was to it was always to try and create something for for people basically for 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 people to learn from that was the mm-hmm. that was the idea you know i had loads of information and crack knowledge in my head and yeah i just like wanted to be able to get it down on paper and in some sort of format that people could digest in a way. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it, it's like this ancient art, right? I mean, it's it's sort of the oldest form of climbing, rock climbing anyway. And then, you know, I've watched it personally just as I, you know, as, as being a crack climber originally and, and um, you know, moving into sport climbing. And I've watched that influence come into to crack climbing you know if we stay away from the word trad climbing we just call it crack climbing the influence of sport climbing has been growing within 
you know, that idea of crack climbing, you know, I, I always call Indian Creek the sort of sport crack capital of the world. But I find it interesting that you guys, uh, you know, putting you and Tom together as the wide boys, um, I'm certainly certain his influence was in this book, obviously, as well. So it's like you guys finally have, I think, coalesced this idea where the two things sort of have merged. And um, I think it's cool because I feel like you've taken this ancient art and added a lot to it in terms of approach and in terms of new techniques, which, you know, if you'd have told me there was new techniques to crack climbing in like 2001, I'd have been like, no, they've all been done. Like, this is all like old knowledge that we just have to go and in mind. So has that been in you guys' attitude towards crack climbing um, as you've approached it, even in your own lives? Yeah. So um, just going back onto the, the, the sort of like the new techniques, I, I kind of, maybe we have discovered some sort of subtleties and, and things like that around crack climbing from, I guess, with the grades that we've climbed in crack climbing, you have to use like more difficult techniques, you could say. But I, I think maybe other people in the past, you know, they have been using these techniques, but in a way, maybe they just haven't known they've been using them or... It just hasn't really been documented mm-hmm. because nobody, yeah, nobody's really kind of put anything out there about it. With the whole crack climbing thing being like this, this old school thing, it's it's really odd because crack climbing basically builds up that, like the the basis and the form of trad climbing. You know, if you're doing any kind of trad climbing, mm-hmm. most likely it's going to have cracks on it because where there are cracks, that's where you put gear. Um, right, and right. it's still seen as sort of like classed as this old school style of climbing, which people kind of shun away from, which I have found very odd over the, you know, o- over the number of years, because actually it's like a real basis to be able to, you know, and a real technique to be able to get you up these routes, up trad climbing routes in general. And if you're a good crack climber, then it's going to really help your trad climbing. I mean, yeah, the the thing about the trad climbing and crack climbing, like I said, it's kind of the the mix. Um, but watching like your career in terms of some of the harder things that you've done, it like recovery drink, um, you know, uh, green spit, some of these things, you know, those are definitely approached as as what I think of as sport climbs. Uh, you know, repeating them, getting the gear dialed, getting the 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 stuff you know, perfectly formed over a couple of years until you can tell you can do the route as a real sport climbing kind of, uh, approach. Like I said, that I've seen go into crack climbing, um, when crack climbing originally was just rooted in trad climbing, which had a lot of ground up ethics and all these other sorts of things about pre-placing gear and stuff like that. So, um, I just feel like you guys have come along at a time when, we've had to sort of redefine some of that and you guys have been a big part of i think redefining what it meant to go crack climbing uh versus just straight up trad climbing or anything like that although we're in the weeds about terms at this point so maybe we should move on (laughs) (laughs) no i do i i I know what you mean about that actually because um i mean uh i obviously call myself i am a crack climber but i have like I do have a background of doing other things, you know, not just crack climbing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, sort of bringing that sport element into crack climbing as well. I mean, I think other climbers have done that as well. I mean, it was, yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, obviously it takes someone like you said to get it all in one place and sort of codify it in a sense, which is maybe what the book really is, is uh, bringing it all together. Um, And it's interesting that, you know, you did choose to write a book in this day and age of, you know, mostly dumping things onto the Internet. Um, But if you're like me and I think a lot of people are still rooted in this idea that a book is this thing that exists, you know, again, as this tome that that. Uh, again, sort of brings everything together or codifies it in a way that the internet still can't quite do. Yeah, no, totally. And I think um, it was kind of for the fact as well that if people asked me a question, I could sort of just say, there's a, there's a book on that. Right. <laughs> I, could, I could direct them somewhere, you know. Um, <laughs> and there was somewhere for them to go and the information would be there. Not Not sort right, of like right. being lazy about it because I put a you know, a really a lot of work into that book. Uh, but then mm-hmm. that work is sort of like given to them, you know, at, at that point of them asking me. So, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I just imagine you like with, a you know, the trench coat where the guy has all the jewelry inside <laughs> of his coat. You're just like, there's a book for that. And you're like... <laughs> you pull out your square stripe thing for your uh for your phone and you're like i'll I'll sell you one right now yeah um (laughs) instead of instead of giving it away for free but of course anyone in this day and age who writes a climbing book is not in it for the uh for the riches Uh, no not not really i don't think yeah yeah (laughs) um so let's move on to you a little bit personally because you know it's it's interesting to me and funny to me is that you know americans we've always like been the crack climbers like we are you know that's our bread and butter we've got yosemite we've got indian creek we've got steve hong you know we've got ron Kalk, all these rad guys that like you know push the limits of what crack climbing meant back in back in the 80s and yet here's a couple of guys from the uk that have become i think you know the spokespersons for crack climbing in a lot of ways so personally what was your development in it as uh someone growing up in the uk traditional climbing certainly is a a huge part of it but maybe pure cracks we don't really think of uh think of it as being uh you know sort of a british art if you will yeah traditional climbing is definitely um that's definitely a uk-based thing but yeah like you say crack climbing isn't so necessarily sort of um portrayed with uh like British people. <laughs> um, I I do remember one of my first ever crack climbing experiences. Uh, I can't quite remember how old I was. I must have been like early teens or something. Uh, I actually write about it in the start of my book. And it's basically, it's, I mean, it's this reasonable, uh, how hard would it be in US grades? Something like 10A, I think, or something like that. And I just remember getting, I think I was one cam off the floor and I was just like dangling in the rope, you know, feet just like paddling on, on my mum's head because <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was just like so low down and I just didn't know like how to do a hand jam or how to jam at all, basically, um, because mm-hmm. that route really, yeah, it was like the first route that I went on that really forced you to actually you know, use a hand jam and use a fist jam. And now I, I, you know, I can't quite believe that I wasn't able to do it. And uh, and to see that progression from when I was, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14, and then up to now where I'm 29, 
yeah, there's just a massive amount of progression, you could say. So that was my like first experience. And I think it was only probably when I met Tom that I really saw crack climbing as an actual thing, you, you could say. Because before I'd always just, you know, seen as trad climbing and I, hadn't, I didn't really have that much experience in I knew like what a hand jam was, but I didn't have that much experience in jamming as such, you could say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I think he he wanted to go and try green spit actually. Um, and he invited me on the trip to go and try green spit. I'd obviously never climbed or tried anything that hard before, certainly in that style. And that's where I thought like, oh, crikey, I need to actually know vaguely what i'm doing here (laughs) to be able to have some sort of decent trip and i think it was from from then and from that trip that i started to realize like our crack climbing's a like a sort of thing it's a style of climbing it links really well into trad climbing because we we got into quite doing like first ascenting and stuff and i think the whole sort of yeah getting into the crack climbing kind of properly started from there so I'd say my first experience was like 13 or 14, like on, on that, that route. And then when I went climbing with Tom, I think I was about 17. So I think there was still a, a gap in between there where, you know, I probably was using hand jams and stuff, but I didn't really know what it was or, or yeah, I wasn't really seeing it as a particular thing as such. Well, I think that people will be excited to hear that you flailed up a 10a um and couldn't figure out how to jam i didn't i didn't uh, because, flail up it though i couldn't even oh you didn't no no oh, you couldn't even, I couldn't climb even it. get up it <laughs> okay well that like i said <laughs> they feel even more good now you know and as someone i instruct crack climbing with twice a year with uh with steph davis i i work for her um crack clinic just as sort of an auxiliary guide as well as entertainment but uh you know and, and it is funny because as someone myself who grew up as a track climber as well, pre-sport climbing here in the U.S. And, and again, crack climbing is even more synonymous with track climbing here. You know, I'm able to cross over and be like, when someone can't do like the most basic perfect hand jam, I think I am actually pretty good at empathizing and instructing that. But there still is this little part of my brain that's just like, why can't you do this? It's like the best, most bomber fucking jug in the world like what you know what i mean like there's always that tiny little voice and i I keep it at bay because i understand these people are beginners and this is totally new to them and but you know once you get to where a hand jam is like the most locker rest jug like a perfect hand jam it's hard to remember that this is like this completely alien concept to not just a lot of climbers but people like I always joke, it's like, yeah, where in the world do you go and like stick your hand into a dark crevice and try to get it stuck? (laughs) Like that's, you know, your mission is like, hey, there's a hole right there. I'm going to put my hand in there and like see if it gets completely stuck. And the more stuck, the better. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I I think it's um, it's quite funny because I started actually climbing quite uh, at a young age. A lot of the basic climbing techniques that you would teach people when they start climbing it's quite funny because i just i can't remember like learning that or like somebody showing you that or like oh how to hold this hold or how to hold a crimp or or any of that stuff but with crack climbing i still i can actually definitely remember that experience of when i was 
13 or, or whatever it was. So I feel like even though I do know now that hand jam is absolutely bomber and really good and I know how to do it, I, in some way I can feel a little bit relatable because I can mm-hmm. still remember that first experience of not being able to do this route myself. So you meet Tom and he invites you to go do green spit, which uh, is, you know, I don't know, it's in the U.S. grade, somewhere in the 514 range. It's a Didier Bertoud route in Italy, correct? Yeah, it's the 13D in Italy. Okay, 13D, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's it's like was a real advanced and and, uh, intense crack climb when it was put up. Did you know Didier's back in the game, by the way? Is he? Yeah, yeah. Is he? Check it out. Look it up on the internet. No, it's not. Is he? yeah, yeah, no, he's slipped out of the, uh, he's, he's like out of the deep commune and back into, uh, into climbing anyway. No. Um, he's sort of, yeah, yeah, oh, check it out. Yeah, he actually, he actually emailed me. We met in Indian Creek and, um, did learning to fly together that, uh, that harder route out in the creek. Um, he did it. I, I bolted it. He put it, he actually freed it at the time. Does any, does anybody anyway. know this or is this like breaking news on, on the enormous cast. No, I mean, I think no one really knows <laughs> a anymore who Didier Bertude actually was. This is big. He he was such a little like. I mean, it was kind of a flash. I mean, he was really like on the scene as this major crack climber for only a couple of years. But no, I, I yeah. If you look it up, there's some video of him talking about coming that he's back into climbing. And uh, I saw this kind of funny German, I think, talk sh- like climbing talk show where they talk to him. And uh, they're they're speaking German, but when he comes on, he's speaking English, so mm. um, I could figure out what's going on. Oh yeah, no, check it out. Yeah, look yeah. him up. He's back. Maybe you should give him a ring. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah check him out. Uh, all right, what the hell are we talking about? Oh yeah, Greenspan. <laughs> what was your pedigree climbing in general that would have you know? Obviously, if you were just some like guy who couldn't get up 10a then Tom's not going to invite you to do Greenspit. So um, at that point, I mean, you had obviously we're climbing well in other styles besides pure crack climbing for him to say, Hey, I think this would be something that you could join me on. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So I'd obviously been climbing from a young age anyway. And I'd, I'd kind of gone through the motions of climbing outside with my parents and also gone through a little bit of the competition scene in the UK as well. And then probably about 15, 15, 16, 17, I actually got, much more into trad climbing and especially trad climbing on the gritstone because uh, that's local to me. So I don't know if anybody's seen like the film Hard Grit, but it's like a film from 98, I think. Um, and it's just, yeah, it kind of uh, defines like the, the Peak District gritstone climbing. Sort of small crags, a bit run out. The ground is quite close and you take some like good looking falls if you fall off and potentially you might hurt yourself. <laughs> well, if anyone hasn't seen Hard Grit out here listening, then it's like after you listen to this, go directly to the internet and find it because it's a seminal climbing film. Um, I mean, it it definitely like blew everybody away uh, when it came out. It, it's I mean, it's shocking and like makes you cringe. And I mean, the opening scene, right, is that French dude like eating it into a dihedral yeah. or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, so yeah, so that's your scene. I mean, you grew up in the Peak District. I grew up in the Peak District. Um, yeah. And is that the same? Is it still? Is that where where Gritstone is? Yeah, yeah. I get I get lost in the yeah, no, geography. totally. So yeah, yeah, the Peak District is where I mean, we have limestone and Gritstone, um, right, and right, it, right. I guess it's famous for both actually. 
Um, right. But I was really into gritstone climbing. A lot of the limestone climbing around here is really sort of, um, it's gnarly and fingery. And um, mm-hmm. it, to be honest, it didn't, it doesn't really suit my climbing style quite as much. Whereas the gritstone is a little bit more slopey, rounded, uh, technical. Um, and then obviously you have these like bold routes, which mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I also kind of got into as well as like a, a teenager, <laughs> you could say. Uh, so, right, right. so I had, before I met Tom, I was actually, I guess, already into this style of climbing. And I think I'd climbed up to the grade of E9 or established up to the grade of E9. I'd climbed some sort of like projects and stuff. So I was reasonably, you know, I could climb, <laughs> you could say. Yeah, yeah. And when I had Tom on the show, I kind of asked him this as well, if I recall. But what was the, you know, like, obviously you guys found a connection and, you know, it's it's been actually, I think, a lot of fun for anybody who follows you guys to to sort of see that you both, you know, get along so well, have great similar sense of humor, you know. And also your climbing goals seem to, you know, effectively align um, other than the El Cap part of things, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But, you know, tell me about the, the you guys meeting and, and sort of gelling on this idea of um, of pushing crack climbing together um, and also just in general, like what what sort of was the the chemistry you thought i think uh, it initially actually started with tom asking me whether basically he'd been trying this challenge in the peak Peak district to climb the most amount of routes in a single day and obviously the routes are quite small here so it's like it's a good yeah it's like a challenge to do essentially you can kind of climb up and down a lot of routes in a single day and he wanted to find a partner to be able to do it with and I was actually the only one who would take him up on the offer. Right. Um, and I think it was basically from that that we realized that, I mean, we're both very determined people anyway. So we're both both very sort of like goal orientated. You know, when we set our mind to something, we want to get it done. But at the same time, we just ended up having a really good time together doing these challenges and having a good laugh um mm-hmm. and even though it was i feel like we both always say this when we, when we get asked this question but even though it was um like a serious objective and we were both serious about doing it it was still like fun uh underneath and yeah we were still having a a, a good time and yeah i think that's kind of how it how it started and then the whole like the whole crack climbing thing that just I feel like that grew from other trips. So like the, the green spit trip, for example, like on, mm-hmm. on the same trip, we actually were doing a lot of first ascending. So we were in this place called Orco Valley and a lot of the stuff, there was a lot of walls which hadn't really been climbed and we'd just kind of look up at stuff and then, you know, see see which walls and which features look good and then sort of like bushwhack our way up there and then go and forge some you know new territory but quite often because we were looking from the road the things that we'd spot were cracks and then when we got up there we realized they were quite wide because they're the ones you can see from the road so on that Mm. trip we actually ended up climbing quite a few wider things and i think it was after that trip where we were like oh this is really good fun at the time, it just sort of like felt a bit adventurous, something a bit new. Um, and then I'm pretty sure it was after that trip where we were like, oh, let's go to the States and let's go and climb some of their off because, yeah, 
actually at the time i don't think i really i wasn't actually massively clued up on the fact that the states had really good off width climbing i think it was i think it was mainly tom it was only when it was sort of like okay let's go to the the states and climb some more cracks that i started doing more reading and more research and i was like oh yeah this this is the mecca of crack climbing and i don't think i was like massively clued up on sort of like history of crack climbing and history mm-hmm. of off-width climbing at that point i just enjoyed the form of climbing i think yeah it's interesting that you'd say that because it's so you know it's so mythical here it's so le- i mean we've got these characters and there's the scarpelli and i mentioned hong and all these people who if you're into crack climbing it's just you know you're you're sort of like you talk about them in hushed tones you know as these as these gods and it it's always funny because you think that that uni- that history is universal, but uh, obviously it wasn't. When you guys first decided to come over here and do some, you know, some off with thing, is that when the uh, when this sort of seller off with training started to come in? You guys wanted to get, you know, in shape to, uh, you know, not to waste your time over here, or was was there like a trip first that made you realize the training would would be sort of necessary? No, I. From how I remember it, it was from that green spit trip and from that first ascending trip where we sort of like got into that wide climbing. And I remember at the end of the trip, sort of as both really enjoying it, both having a good time together, um, both sort of like really enjoying the, the crack climbing. And I remember us both just sort of saying, yeah, like, let's let's go and do this. Let's go to America. Let's go and sample what they have. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we did more research into it and... You know, I, I learned about more what you guys had over there, you know, the psych built. And then suddenly it, it got to the stage a few weeks later where it's like, yeah, let's go and do this properly. Let's go to America. Mm-hmm. Let's climb all the off wits and let's go and yeah, let's go and have what they offer. And then when it got to that point, we were we got to the stage of, oh, let's, you know, let's do it properly. Uh, let's not just go over there and sort of try the off wits and fail on them <laughs> Let, right. let's let's go over there and try and climb them <laughs> and then when we're like okay well let's go and try and climb them we're like well let's go and try and climb them all <laughs> right <laughs> and um yeah that's when the tech the techno music came on yeah. and like that's <laughs> yeah. when we get the montage like in the movie where now all of a sudden you guys are both like training in this crazy montage for you know four minutes and then you show up in the United States. That's how the movie goes. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was, um, I think, yeah, like I said before, we, when we both set our mind to something, then mm-hmm. we want to do it and we want to do it properly. And when you want to do it right. properly, you want to do it well, you know? Um, so I think that's when the whole seller thing came in. And it was like, okay, yeah, if we're going to do this properly, we're going to train properly. Um, and that's when we were like, let's do this for two years before going over. So we're, we're well prepared. So that's how long it was? Like that's like from conception to actually coming over, you were you guys were seller training for two years? Yeah, I mean and we were doing <laughs> <laughs> we were doing lots of other things other than the seller as well. But well obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Well, it's you know, back to how I was started this conversation when we were talking about sort of the the crossover from sport to crack climbing, you know, that in my mind that's part of it. Obviously, there's always been crack machines, and crack climbers have built them 
and then mostly just abandon them in their basements or their backyards because it's a it's a really painful um as, as someone who's done that and like has spent a little bit of time on crack machines and built them they they're a really painful and not very fun form of training i don't think i mean i maybe i'm like shooting a hole in in the wide boys hole whole uh, <laughs> a business plan right here just like but you know at, at least and, may, may, and maybe that's like your advancement is i think that like you guys have figured out some textures and shit but like two two by sixes like worn smooth by your fingers is and like putting your feet in them is just a really unpleasant experience um but you guys brought it to the fore i mean this idea of crack specific training has always existed but you know i don't think it's ever been presented as you know something for the masses if you will you know in my understanding among my friends and, and the people I know, it's always been route specific. Um, it's always been like, here, I've reached this crack that I can't do. Let me sort of like build it a little bit, 10 feet of it in my backyard. And I'll, I'll work on it for a little while and see if that makes me any better. But what you just said about coming over here and failing on the off widths, if you didn't have any training is, you know, that's actually the long standing tradition in crack climbing. Um, and I think in trad climbing in general is that you go and you just try and fail and then, you know, and then you have to just keep failing until you don't fail anymore. Um, so again, you guys brought this new idea to it, I think in a lot of ways. Um, and obviously it was extremely successful for you. Yeah. I mean, the whole failing thing is, I guess, uh, neither of us like to fail. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also it was, um, like me, what was I 17 18 at the time or I was 18 when we started all that doing all that training in the cellar um and I was thinking like oh you know we're going to the states in two years that's quite a big trip we're going for I can't remember how long we went for now two months and I was thinking you know that's quite a big expense in a way for like a, mm -hmm. a an 18 or 19 year old and I didn't want it like you don't want it to be a waste a wasted expense either you know you want it to be like a good trip and you want to make it worthwhile right. so you want to put the effort in to make it good basically um and what makes things good for me as well as you know having a good time but also achieving the goal as well right right yeah. right right yeah. yeah yeah the best climber is the one having the most fun but even the you know it's even better when you're actually climbing shit that's like you want it it's Good, it feels yeah. good to climb well, doesn't it? I mean, there's no yeah, two ways around yeah. it. It does. Yeah, 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 totally. So what was on the itinerary on that trip? Um, so Where did you guys end up? Uh, like Vedavu and stuff? Yeah, so we started yeah. in Vedavu. Um, and we. it's funny, actually, because I remember us uh, on the train to the airport actually writing the list that we wanted to do. So we didn't actually have mm -hmm. a list before going i remember actually on the train writing the list for vidavu of the roots and boulder problems that we wanted to do but we knew we wanted to go there because it was sort of like the the crack climbing uh like Nile fest isn't it you know like big mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. big crystals sticking out and um we'd obviously by that point heard about bob scarpelli and like right these right it, it's, legends it's kind of where the the tough guy part of of off with thing really started because of him, you know, because of his attitude and, and, and who he is and the way he's built and all that sort of stuff. It, it kind of laid that basis for like, if you're going to be an off with her, you got to be like, 
you know, basically look like a boxer yeah. kind of person. So, um, did you guys fly into Denver? I mean, did you know that much anyway? Uh, where did we go to? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows where we like went? Like in Omaha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why? How do we get to Nebraska now? Where do we go? Um, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you when when me, when me and Tom are traveling together. We're not very good on directions. <laughs> right, uh, right, right. I'm I'm good by myself, but then when right. when you get me with Tom, we just end up getting sidetracked, and then we just yeah, off on the wrong path. <laughs> right. So how was you know on that trip? I'm I'm curious, and maybe we'll tread into some some uh, territory here, but uh, you know there there like people coming and for lack of another phrase, like burning off you know, people's like lifetime projects or their most, you know, famous hard climbs. Um, it is a longstanding tradition around the world. Um, I can think back even in the United States to some faded trip where uh, Yuji and I think Francois Legrand like came and tried to do all the hardest climbs in America, like in one trip, just to be like, screw you guys. <laughs> but, you know, again, back to this sort of tough guy, like crack climbing and off with climbing thing. Was there ever like any sort of like weird reception to like these two, at least here unknown dudes from the UK coming and climbing the hardest off with in, in America on a, on a trip? Because you guys were extremely successful on that trip. And, and I do remember like this peep about what's going on these guys just showed up and started crushing all these off with was that uh universally loved or was there like a like who are these guys kind of a attitude yeah i think the um like the off with thing scene in america i mean we've been in touch with with like some of the locals and stuff before we came over oh, cool. to, to sort of like get some knowledge of where things are and they, they knew we were coming over but yeah maybe people probably well, maybe like that sort of community and also me and Tom didn't really expect or know how well it was going to go in, in a way. Mm -hmm. because, because first of all, like me and Tom hadn't really actually climbed many offwits outdoors. You know, right. we've done all this training in the cellar. Um, <laughs> but in terms of like climbing on real rock and in terms of technique... We were still pretty, I would say, mediocre. Like I, okay. I remember on that on that trip, we were actually like, we were still learning and figuring out techniques as we were going around the states. And one particular thing, I remember we looked at a route. Uh, this was in Zion, and we looked at a route called um, uh, Gabriel, and we saw some photos mm -hmm. of it before coming out. And there's a picture of um, Pamela Pack on it, and she's upside down in some like chicken wings, and that's just something me and Tom had never done before. And I remember like two or three weeks before coming out to the states on that trip, and we were like, we should probably actually just go and see what that feels like. And I remember walking around the Peak District and looking for like a random chimney, and we just got inside it and like spun upside down, and we we're like okay yeah 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 okay that's what it feels like <laughs> all right yeah we're good to go <laughs> so in terms of like the um the experience of offwit thing we didn't really have any but in terms of the physical and training side of things we had um yeah we were like above the standard by quite mm. a bit in terms of strength and fitness of that style of climbing 
But in terms of your question, I didn't really answer that at all, did I? I've gone off. I've totally gone off track there. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's fine. Yeah. Well, let's move away from it anyway. It's, it's fine. Um, well, let me ask you this real quick is like, uh, you know, what was the what were the the tick list in the end um, on that trip in terms of of your goals? Which ones did you meet? The tick list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we uh, we wrote up a full list uh, before. What you, I mean, what did you end up getting done? What did we end up getting done? Um, all of it, really. I'm not sure. Yeah. In Vidavu, we had like this five, the five hardest ones mm-hmm. at the time. So there was like Lucille, The Wing, Tripmaster Monkey, all these sorts of things. And then like in, in the desert, there was like Gabriel and Belly Full of Bad Berries. Um, and then there was one of Mason's Roots. I've forgotten the name of it now. I can't remember. And then obviously mm-hmm. there was um, Sentry Crack as well, which was like the, the main sort of first ascent which we'd come over for. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is about that, that trip, none of the other routes that we repeated were particularly like that difficult in a way. I think it was more the fact that we, we were doing them one after the other and like going to one location and then just like ticking off all these routes and where, you know, one of these routes is meant to leave you sort of like battered for three or four days and recovering from like wounds and pressure wounds and all this stuff. I think the thing was that we were going from one place to the other and just doing them reasonably quickly. And I think that's probably what sparked interest within the sort of American climbing community. Yeah. Interest? In interest. (laughs) (laughs) Was there interest? Um, I feel like there was a little bit of interest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Um, And and that was the trip you guys did Century Crack as well. I thought that was a repeat. Uh, trip no no so did you have to come back to do it with uh after after uh yeah yeah, after stevie Stevie got up in your grill about uh (laughs) got up in your grill about pre-placing camps was that the second trip it was it was it was all the same trip so it was all it was all within that um two month time period but we just Uh um went to the we went to century cracker uh i think like four weeks into the trip and Mm -hmm. then uh, and then we did it with the pre-place gear and then we went back two weeks later or something and and did it with oh on the same on the same trip yeah okay (laughs) it was that fast yeah 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 (laughs) he came he came up in your he got up in your grill that quickly and then you guys were like all right fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're not having any of that (laughs) yeah right on (laughs) i mean it's funny because it's like there's a there like you just said earlier there's like a there's like a, a a kind of hilarious you know almost like uh no offense but like a dumb dumb and dumber road trip movie um to like your travels and uh do you, are you familiar with that yeah film? yeah yeah yeah. okay okay yeah. and then but then like underlying it is the seriousness the seriousness of like we are here to send these climbs the seriousness of like we're not going to take any guff from S- stevie haston at least not you know over the internet um or however it happened <laughs> like sending emails or something like that now um it, and and i think like to me it's it's what earns my respect is that like but the seriousness underlying that is what is like the the mix that to me like earns my respect that you know the funny videos aside you guys crush things and um you take it seriously you train for it you you know and you get your goals done um it you know it, in terms of that like projection is it just all organic that's just who you guys are yeah, we definitely are both very 
kind of serious about getting it done. Like we, we right. want to get it done. I mean, I'm a very competitive person as well, like competitive with myself and competitive with other people. And, um, you know, like, yeah, well, I want to get stuff done. But at the same time, I can't be hanging around people who are super serious <laughs> because because it's just, uh, yeah, it's just not my it's just not my way of going around things. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really weird one, isn't it? Like, yeah, you've got to have fun, but you've got to get it done at the same time. Well, I mean, it's both things can't be faked. I don't think, I mean, you know, it's like, again, looking at your, your media and, and you guys have become this kind of, you know, this, this project in a way you've got, you know, you've got the wide boy selling the crack, volumes you've got your crack climbing books and but it all still feels just organic like it's just happened uh to 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 create this style in which you guys operate in the climbing world but we're skipping like uh we're skipping something in here or at least we kind of haven't gotten to it i guess is that you also have this really awesome and impressive valley record um which if i recall tom my interview with Tom, he kind of felt like this was something that was sort of your thing and less of his thing. Um, I think he actually expressed that being up on a big wall really was something he wanted to, to, to learn to do, but hadn't kind of yet. Um, he said he wasn't that comfortable like doing these multi-day big wall ascents. So you've had to kind of split off from him for that. So let's talk a little bit about the Valley and the impetus for, you spent several seasons there. Is that right? Yeah. So the first time I went was 2014. And then I've been there. I've been there each year since um, whenever COVID happened. And the first year, I actually went with Tom. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did go together. Um, and again, we we kind of had a, a goal in mind in terms of climbing big walls. And yeah, we just set us, set ourselves like a little training period aside and uh, trained for it. And then yeah, went went and try and uh, kind of achieve the the goal on on big walls but on that first trip we climbed el cap three times we did el corazon we did golden gate and we did free rider and i remember by the last wall that tom was it was like getting a little bit too much he was like suffering with the exposure a little bit where i think i'd been getting used to it a little bit more whereas i think for tom being up there he'd actually the amount of time spending up there, it actually felt like he'd been suffering a little bit more. Um, and okay. I don't think he felt like he could climb to uh, his potential. And I think, obviously, yeah, I think that frustrates him a little bit when he knows he can climb harder, but something, yeah, something is stopping him do that. Um, and that's, yeah, when he, he he decided not to come back the, the next year, basically. Well, yeah. it's funny that, because he, he sort of expressed that, exactly what you said, um, if I recall correctly, and, and kind of like a, a disappointment in, in sort of what had happened. And yet here you are like telling me that you guys just like banged out three free big walls on El Cap, like, which is, you know, 99% of the climbing world's like lifetime goal would be to do one of those routes, uh, then three of them. And then, you know, you guys left and tom's like oh that was kind of a disappointing season i'm like okay all right then bro like, <laughs> like, yeah maybe when you yeah. do you know what i mean i mean that's like some serious freaking you know you just talked about being competitive with yourselves like that's a pretty uh you know it's like come on just 
feel good about what you got done there, buddy. Like, that's pretty awesome. Like, you guys sound like you're also pretty hard on yourselves. Um, I mean, we, we went to the valley uh, that season with the goal of uh, climbing three big walls. <laughs> yeah. So we, we managed to do it. But I think Tom was suffering a little bit too much at the end for him to justify mm-hmm. having a good right. time going back. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fine. Um, yeah. Um, I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling really well, actually. So let's talk about your 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 climbing there. Uh, the one, you know, the 24-hour free rider rope solo thing obviously stands out. Uh, and I have a couple, like, just particular questions about that. Um, first of all, like, why, I guess, would be a really good question of, like, what made that seem like a, an interesting goal to you? So uh, yeah, I'd been I'd been to the valley in 2014, 2015. Um, mm. So 2014 with Tom, 2015 I went with another friend, and we did um, a route on the right hand side of El Cap uh, called Secret Passage. Secret Passage, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember after that route, obviously it felt like a little bit more hardcore than the other ones I'd done. Um, and I sort of remember thinking like, ah, uh, like you know, I could just pick an even more tricky route you know i could go into the 514 range and look at something else magic mushroom the nose whatever it might be zodiac or i could try and look at something completely new and something that's gonna yeah challenge me in a different way you could say and that's when i thought about sort of like solo climbing um and to be honest i didn't really know how solo climbing worked or yeah i actually really didn't know how how any of that kind of stuff worked how you climbed a big wall by yourself but then when i sort of started looking into it i realized that el cap had never been free climbed in a day um alone and then i was like oh i'll do that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and and it was it was purely for the fact that it was something there that hadn't been done right Uh, and then i was like yeah okay i'll do that it's like how the hell do i do that (laughs) And then that's when I found out about rope soloing. Um, And then I just started reading up on rope soloing. Yeah. And that's, that's where that went. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you that. Um, And I, you know, sort of dare to tread into this world um, of how it's actually done. And I don't like to, because I think it's like, I don't know, there's a certain type of misanthrope that's like, I want to learn how to solo. Hmm. How do I do that? And like, it's actually a really sketchy sort of, I mean, you got to have a lot of your ducks in a row before you ever start soloing something. You should be a very good system climber to begin with. But I'm actually, as someone who soloed El Cap as an aid climber, I I actually am not exactly sure how you lead solo hard free climbing. Like, what are you actually attached to? What was your device of choice? I'll tell you what, you should have seen the first ever lead rope solo I ever did. (laughs) <laughs> it was total carnage. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. But basically, the the way I did it on that trip was I was using something called a silent partner. Which, okay. So the silent partner is still out there. Um, I don't think it is anymore, but I think... I, well, I mean, as as a uh, it's not as a manufactured product, but it's they exist. It still exists. But you know yeah, what? Yeah. I, I think I was really lucky, and I think I actually got one of the very last ones because okay. I remember... After I'd totally done that whole thing, they were they were gone and nobody could get them. Right. And um, right. yeah. But anyway, I was I was using the silent partner as like my main belay device uh, or self belay device, which is like a self feeding device 
But then you also have to sort of keep the weight of the um, of the free rope off the device so it actually feeds right. properly. So then I was using uh, like a traction um, okay. below the device. So with the traction, you still also have to feed the rope. So like you say, mixing rope soloing and free climbing together and trying to do it on uh, like 13A is it can be a little bit tricky. Um, <laughs> You reckon? Yeah, it's a little bit tricky. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the silent partner is a story device that, um, you know, has an incredible amount of engineering in it for the uh, number of them sold. So it was always this kind of not very, it was a sort of wonky uh, business plan with selling these things. So they, they came and went. The reason I'm like, they still exist, meaning that I'm sure the ones that are out there and functional are like, you know, gold you know because it was the device that you know really made sort of free climbing and moving having the rope at least feed reasonably possible and everything else the the old there was a lot of aid devices that needed to be fed by hand the grigri still is used a lot but it's it still is hard to feed while you're climbing and so the silent partner has always been this this story device that um that allowed this to happen so it's uh, that's kind of what I was curious about because in the pictures I've seen, I couldn't quite figure out what you had attached to yeah. you. But yeah, it is kind of this multi-string mess, though, uh, in a lot of ways um, because you're hauling the other end of the rope with you. Um, and so I was always curious. And yeah, it, anyway, it's just super impressive to me as someone, again, who soloed things with a rope on um, and how you know annoying it was aid climbing when you're just hanging there with your hands free <laughs> so it's like jesus christ you're like you know grappling tiny holds and trying to make yourself self-climb but if you're someone who's not afraid to take um take some falls that's probably helpful yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think um i think with that um that whole silent partner system and being able to free climb uh and being able to do it sort of efficiently and well then there are some risks and shortcuts that you you have to take you know it's impossible to follow the full guidelines of how you should rope solo and be able to uh, rope solo like that quickly um you you know like the whole thing with backup knots and and this kind of stuff um right yeah sometimes it's just uh, it's just not quite possible really yeah Right. And would would you say that it, you were forced to run it out more than you might have with a with a normal setup or not? No, no. I, I don't I don't think I run it. I don't think okay. I ran anything out more. Um but a lot of people I mean the speed might might influence that more than anything, but Yeah, yeah. I think I mean I think I climbed the pitches and placed the same amount of gear as I would as, you know, if I was with a a climbing partner, which is a lot less than what I would have placed. <laughs> with a climbing partner but anyway keep going (laughs) um but a lot of people have asked me about i have so many questions about backup knots and how do you free climb with with backup knots and unattaching them and and all this kind of stuff right right um and at the end of the day with the with the rope soloing i've i've always seen it as i mean i'm quite into free solo climbing any anyway or i have been Mm -hmm. in the peak district and i've always sort of thought of my first uh, point of safety is my climbing ability sure um so if i feel very comfortable on the ground then you know i would totally just run it out and the silent partner will just be there for 
a backup and right. I won't really, you know, I'll replace right. much gear. And then if the climbing does get more tricky, then I might place a, a like a stopper backup knot um, halfway down the rope somewhere. Sure. Um, so that if I was to fall and then the device didn't break, then I would stop at the knot. Um, and then moving up from that again, for example, sort of like on the boulder problem pitch or like the enduro corner where the climbing was a little bit more tricky, I actually decided to place like the, the backup knot a little bit closer. But I always had it so I never actually had to untie the backup knot when I was climbing. Because right, it, it's right, just... Right. It's just not feasible to be to be doing that and climbing like five. Like five chewing 12. on it, like with one hand, yeah. like trying to yeah. chew the knot out of there. And it's stuff. just not yeah, possible. Yeah. So, for anybody wondering that, uh, like, what right. the answer is to that, then no, that's yeah. my answer to it. Whether it's the yeah, right that's answer, your answer, where is the yeah, right yeah, answer? Totally. It's probably not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the, there's a Japanese dude that freed the nose that way, right? Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know him. Um, yeah, that's really impressive. I think he had a slightly different setup to me. He was actually mm-hmm. using a Grigory, I think. Yeah, um, right. That totally. Yeah. yeah, he was. Yeah, and that's just like I don't know how that's done either. But and and that's the. I mean, when I preface this of like the Enormicast should not be a place you get knowledge about about how to rope solo. The truth is, is there's there is not like the way to do it. And every, I mean, literally, I think everybody I know who does it has variations to it. And they build all those variations off this enormous base of understanding of systems that they got by not rope soloing. And that's why it's like when someone's like, yeah, I'm, you know, like a 5'10 climber and I have this local crag and I want to like, I can never find a partner. I want to go out and start rope soloing. I'm just like, you know, no, you don't. (laughs) Like, let's, let's wait till, in all honesty, like until you can kind of answer most of your own questions about it because you have an understanding of how the systems work is like the time at least at least uh, like fixed line soloing right no big deal like that's a whole different thing but like trying to lead climb anything anywhere near difficult for you is just like this prospect that makes me shudder yeah you know? yeah yeah and also like with the, the whole rope soloing thing i mean i never went rope soloing because I love rope soloing, you know, <laughs> I, I went rope soloing cause it, it was a tool to help me achieve what I wanted to go and do. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than um, being a thing of like, you know, a passion <laughs> cause yeah, it's totally. a total so, ball ache. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also fun to climb with other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can talk, laugh, make jokes, um, cry together the whole thing um crying when you're rope soloing which i have done uh is you know it's a lonely and demoralizing experience just to be alone um crying on the end of a rope um so (laughs) there's no one to give you a hug and tell you it's okay um or or tell you to buck the fuck up and stop crying either yeah um not i'm sure you haven't experienced that but i have in the fisher tower uh so tied off on a cobble um (laughs) holding it with all my fingers on top of this cobble just like weeping because i was i needed to high step um yeah Uh, i don't know if i've ever told that story i think i have but uh this isn't about me let me roll back because um i jumped ahead time wise but i also wanted to ask you about the um 
about the secret passage um, and repeating that. Um, I read your blog post about it. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, it's it's a, a Nico Favras. Favras. How, I don't know. How Everybody do says it different, it? don't yeah. they? Favres, okay, Favres, yeah. 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 Who knows? Anyway, it's it's a Nico um, Favras, Favres. Uh, someday he's going to be on the show. He's agreed to do it. We, we haven't been able to get it done. And he can just tell me how the hell to pronounce it. But <laughs> um, And then Sean uh, Villanueva, Driscoll, Root. And, and those guys, it's, it's cool in your blog post that you sort of like made some fun comparisons to, um, to those guys, uh, and their approach to the climb. Um, because a lot of, in a lot of ways, those guys inspire me for the same reasons that you and Tom do. Um, because they, they also just like seem to be able to have a great time and then put the fucking hammer down. I mean, put it, put it down in a way that maybe even you guys don't. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same way, but like, um, you know, putting the hammer down on a, on a, you know, cold snowy big wall and, yeah, totally. Patagonia is a whole nother, t- whole nother operation. And taking the banjos and the pianos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So, <laughs> um, anyway, that was their route. It was a, it was a ground up ascent that they did on the right side of El Cap, a place where uh, one of your countrymen, uh, Leo Holding, tried to do a, a super gnarly ground up ascent as well. Um, and you guys did the second ascent of that. What, what attracted you to the the secret passage and all the, all the, uh, you know terrible things that that thing could present to you um as you climbed up it Mm, yeah so uh, that year i went to yosemite with uh, my friend dan mcmanus and he'd also done a few routes on the left hand side of el cap sort of like i'd done uh so i think we were just sort of up and open for another challenge sort of seeing what the right hand side of el cap had to offer um we knew that the style over there was like a little bit more British, you know, you could say, uh, with a bit more loose rock and a bit more adventure, not quite your splitter cracks of the left-hand side. Right, right. Yeah, the kind of more trad climbing that uh, I think is sort of storied in in in, uh, in the UK. Yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it, with like El Cap aficionados for people listening, I mean, it is a big, the right side, left side thing is a big uh sort of denominator because even with the aid climbing the right side is steep brittle like a lot of it's super gnar hooking scary flaky crap and then the left side is like this nice slab a lot of super long splitter cracks um kind of those dream pitches that you hear about on el cap and then you get way right and um you know, having eight climbed over there as well, like I kind of actually know almost the exact terrain that you're on over there. It's that big black diorite pile. Um, <laughs> yeah. and it, and it's, and it's literally steep because it, it's deteriorated. You know, that's what's caused it to cave out is that things just fall off in the middle of it. J- just to put it in perspective, um, in terms of what you just said. And I think we picked it because it was, yeah, it was, it was on the right and a little bit more adventurous and it was also on the front cover of one of the guidebooks as well so mm-hmm. we'd seen it on that uh it hadn't had a repeat so that's always nico takes a good picture yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so yeah we were just i guess we were just like keen to to have a look and and give it a go we did start up going ground up initially and then we what happened we basically we didn't have the right kit for aiding um, mm-hmm. because some of the pitches we were like, they were so bold that it was impossible to sort of like 
free climb them up to the belay first go right we yeah we had to go back down and like get a few aid pieces and that kind of stuff and we just kind of tinkered away at it like that and then in the end we ended up um coming in from the top and we worked out one of the no two of the the pitches at the top um and then i think you know like it is with, with these things after a bit of a rest we we just went for a push on on the, on yeah. the whole thing it was quite funny though with that that the weather that season was pretty poor there was like a lot of storms coming through and i remember as we were starting everybody else was either coming down or topping out because we knew there was a storm coming in uh, like a couple of days but we'd already like pinpointed a location on the route where we're like we need to get to there and then we can sit in our portal edge and wait out the storm because it was like under this little roof and we would sort of be sheltered so we ended up right we ended up spending a bit more time on the route than uh we'd actually sort of planned to i think we'd planned to take seven days and we ended up taking nine just because of the storm that came through was a bit more brutal and wet than we had anticipated for (laughs) well it's a really wet i mean even though it's steep like there's a bunch of waterfalls over there that form up when it when it starts to starts to get wet and you know then the wind blows and then you're basically even though it's concave and and you might be under something you can still get get really wet to the point where i mean people i think i recounted this story actually on the nugget podcast but um you know people have been up there in in cold weather and gotten in the spray of one of those waterfalls and died. Yeah, uh, no, totally. You know, because, it can be, yeah. 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 There's, some, so. there's some big waterfalls over there, so you have to be careful. Yeah. The interesting thing, too, is I had occasion just recently, last week, actually, of reading um, Leo's story from Rock and Ice about doing The Prophet, which is over in that zone. Um, and it, and the, the, the parallels were sort of remarkably similar to what you guys did, which is, you know, trying the root ground up and then, you know, Leo too was sort of forced after, in his case, years to uh, to preview the top and kind of put a dent in what his original style had been. You know, but those guys were trying to free it ground up, which is a whole nother ball game. And just to point out that Nico and Sean did go up there as a ground up ascent, but aided pitches to to work them, um, which is maybe the roadblock you guys ran into. Because I think on that kind of climbing and having aid climbed over there, like it's not just like oh, we need to aid this, you know, so we can get a rope on it and try to free it it's like it's going to be like super gnar as an aid climb as well like those are really hard aid climbs over there so it's kind of like this double whammy yeah like even to get up some of the pitch i I think on that route it's actually follows most of eagle's way which is a3 Mm -hmm. um okay so like the aid climbing isn't massively gnarly but if you don't have the right gear you know if you don't have aid Mm -hmm. gear then it it suddenly is gnarly (laughs) Yeah, yeah, which is why we're like you're pulling through on cams. Yeah, no, no, totally not. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's an awesome ascent. So, kind of framing that, uh, it's interesting to me that a lot of this stuff, right? That climb, you know, the the profit, and then and then thinking about you guys showing up as off with climbers from your cellar to to the United States. There's so many ways in which it takes somebody outside of the paradigm to walk into a place that has so much weight of the mythology, so much weight of tradition to kind of like break through and and do something new. And I kind of wanted to get your, your sort of feelings about that because when you were talking about the, the, your off with trip, 
there's so much baggage and weight that goes with off with climbing here in the United States. You know, I mean, it's like, it's career making for people like, you know, how hard it is and how gnarly it is. And it's not for everybody. It's almost like you guys were able to do what you did because you didn't have that tradition and weight. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really, that's a really good point. Actually. Um, I think when you're in, I mean, in terms of the off width terms, there was only pressure really on on ourselves because we'd put we'd put so much of our effort and on on the line for it and in terms right. of like having to live up to a certain standard and off with thing is gnarly and and this kind of stuff then in a way that wasn't really there because we didn't particularly know that and also if we if we'd failed then nobody would have heard anything of it anyway Right. So it's not like there was anything to, yeah, in a way, it's not like there was anything to sort of li- live up to uh, in, mm-hmm. in that sense. But I mean, as a, when you are coming to do these kind of big projects that you, that you have in mind, and there is some history behind the, the location or the place or the roots, I think for me, I'm just, I'm kind of just really focused on the goal in a way. And in some ways, I, I know I've put the work in. I mean, I like to believe in my ability. Like, I believe in my ability that I can do these things. I mean, I think that's really important for, for anything. Right. If you don't believe in your ability that you can do them, then you never will. And I, I do believe in, in my ability to, to do some of this stuff. So it's a tricky question, actually. Sometimes, like, when you're in a community, though, like, you, mm-hmm. can, you can sort of get wrapped up in, in the own myth of the community, in, sure. in a way and then when somebody comes from outside and they they don't know all the hype and they don't know all the myth and they actually just go up there and have a look themselves and then you're sort of like all oh, right yeah all right let's let's do this thing yeah yeah, yeah. i think it just <laughs> clears your head i mean i've always imagined that you know before you try lucille you have to like greco-roman wrestle scarpelli like to be allowed to try it you know like in all honesty i mean that's like you know that's kind of the feeling is like you got to go up there and like do the you know the prerequisites roots you're not allowed to try that until you do this and like some of that i think probably goes on in the gritstone and um elsewhere like you're not supposed to just walk in and do the hardest thing you got to put the time in and like show your your bona fides before it happens is kind of the feeling here. And, you know, having aid climbed in the Valley when aid climbing was probably at its kind of its last hurrah is sort of like a, a important thing in climbing. I think it was, yeah, it was just steeped in this idea that you, that's how you climbed El Cap. Yeah. Again, like having this shining example of Lynn Hill and, you know, and, 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 uh, Piana and, and Skinner, but Lynn Hill was really the, like the perfect style example you know, it was years, a year. I mean, she freed it and then she went and freed it in a day and then like nobody bothered again forever. It feels mm. like, um, it's just a strange thing that I feel like people have to have a vision and sometimes outsiders have the vision that doesn't have the weight, the weight of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh, interesting. Um, what you're saying about like, uh, putting the time in, uh, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And, and you feel like you have to put the time in before you get on these supposedly like big and mythical roots and stuff and how does this out outsider come in and suddenly having not put any of the time in suddenly climb this route but i think with all of these things yeah maybe they haven't put the time in locally but 
you still have to put the time in somewhere and somehow. Right. Um, and Leo coming over or the Hoovers coming over or Alex Honnold and Kevin Jorgensen coming over to the Gritstone and then like crushing on that. Everybody's still put their time in in some way, shape yeah, yeah, or for form, sure. but they just haven't put yeah. the time in on that particular thing. It's just so happens that they can then go and climb that thing because they put their time in somewhere else. But yeah, it's just funny because, you know, a lot of times that's hidden in a way like, you know, you guys seem like just total newcomers probably when you walked in and, and, and I, I just keep going back to Vedavu because a lot of the off with legend is really based on that scene up there. And they were sort of the, you know, is it Brad Jackson? Yeah. That yeah. Did, uh, yeah. Belly flow? I mean, those guys went out into the other places to do these super gnar mm. off with in a lot of ways. So, um, it's just funny because it, it, you know, there's so much mythology with it and I've never talked to Bob. I'd love to have him on the show. I haven't really made it that big a effort, but almost because I'm scared of him, <laughs> you know, because again, the legend of this dude is just like that big, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I, I know what you mean. I mean, he's like the Stevie Haston. He's like yeah, totally. he's like your Stevie Haston. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it turns out that guy was a, was a peach when I had him on. <laughs> um, I mean, he was like nursing a horrible hangover, so maybe it mellowed him out a little bit, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, <laughs> I was scared of him, and I didn't grow up with him in my climbing scene when I sat him down. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me ask you a little bit about style, and that's a word that really I think is, you know, it's so much rooted in in – where you grew up climbing, you know, the peak district I've always said is, is a lot of ways what developed there as terms of style and ethics is what then developed here in the U S and in, in North America and general Canada, U S we, we pull way more from that than we say like a continental European style, you know, hence the bolt wars that we had here as well and all that sort of stuff. But it seems like style is super important to you. And I say that because again, going back to this, this blog post, I think it was from 2015, about the secret passage it's funny because you you listed the ways in which you failed stylistically uh, against nico and sean's ascent first in your blog post and then you went on to list the ways in which you felt like you had succeeded in a lot of ways um obviously doing the route was the first success but then you're i think very careful about pointing out the stylistic variances of this climb which you know andrew and i over on the other show as well we feel like that's like we're in an age of all those those details getting lost in the fray. How important is it that you make sure that those stylistic points are transparent and put out there um, as part of the way you climb? I think the way that you climb something or the style that you climb something in like isn't massively in, important. Uh, but I think if you are going to talk about it, then uh, being honest about that style and the way you did it is the, the most important thing. And I think for me, I like to I like to do a whole load of different styles. Uh, and I've said, I feel like I've said this to a few people in the past that the way to improve your climbing is actually to do many different styles. So mm-hmm. it is actually to try and go an on-site routes um, and try and go an on-site routes at your level and above your level and below your level. You know, try and go in um, head point and red point routes. Um, try and go and flash routes. So like try and climb routes with uh, the beta given to you and try, you know, try ground upping and try all these different things. And that is actually going to improve your climbing. And I think the most important thing, if you are going to uh, be outspoken or public or 
it is something of newsworthy within climbing media that the style that you do it in is that you you just you're honest about how you've done it and right. then that 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 will sort of determine it i think we didn't get the we didn't get your origin story um but it sounds like you grew up in the peak and it sound you you mentioned something about uh maybe your m- mom belaying you so it sounds like it was something that your family did together in the peak yeah 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 so my um uh, my parents are, are both climbers yeah so we sort of did it at, like me and my sister did it as a, a young age sort mm-hmm. of just like you know being out in in the hills walking scrambling yeah you know a, a bit of climbing well and I, the reason i bring that up this sort of late in the interview a lot of times we start with that kind of thing is that is that you know if they if they were climbers of a generation before you in the peak then they probably were also aware of like this is how things are done um, in terms of which crag you do certain things at and which you don't, you know, going back to like the grit being, you know, a, a, a no bolt place is, is just this incredible like line that was drawn. And, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe there's been small places where it got crossed, but it feels as though it's like one of these great bastions of like, no, we do not do this here kind of a thing. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, no, totally. I mean, yeah, I, I grew up and I was sort of educated in in that sense from a uh, from a young age, but just naturally, mm-hmm. I guess. I think right, right, um, exactly. Not indoctrinated. No, if you will, no. But yeah, <laughs> but I think with like style and ethics, I think it's, I think, in a way, it's important to sort of follow the ethics of an area. Sure. Um, so it's important to follow the ethics, but maybe. Uh, take your own style if that makes sense so sure it doesn't really yeah like i was saying it doesn't really matter if if you want to go and top rope something and want to go top roping then great you know go and do that and just because you're doing that and everybody else is leading and saying that you should go and lead or not head point then it's just a style and it's just what you want to do but as long as you're following the ethics of the place and as long as you're honest mm-hmm. about the style that you're doing things then i think that's the i think that's the way to be or well, that's kind of how that's kind of how i do things i think yeah it's funny because it's it's like a weird semantic game of ethics versus style but yeah um i i always feel like yeah it's your your style is what you choose choose to do personally that doesn't necessarily affect anybody else yeah while ethics you know can cross into chipping or placing bolts or you know pounding pitons in places that that you don't where you know there's some damage done that that is affecting other people's climbing experience yeah and that's where like you know the two things get kind of muddy but you know one is bad and one is who cares mm. you know your style is your style and, and and you do what you want yeah yeah you know i think if you slapped in yeah. some, sometimes the um depending on the the location the the ethics and the style can kind of mix a little bit sure in in the way like on the uh, southern sandstone in, in the uk you obviously can't um and in the czech republic as well you know you can't place cams and stuff like you right. can't place metal protection because the rock's too soft sure. um so you either have to uh, you each actually either have to top rope solo or you know place knotted slings um sure. and that's the ethic but then it it also sort of merges into this the style of climbing that you end up doing so sometimes they can sort of cross and you but that still goes back to the the whole reason about the the moratorium or whatever um is about damage you know it always has yeah. been um yeah. yeah so then you know again like you don't want to climb on knots and top rope and so you you change your style yeah. 
just a couple quick hits. So you went and tried to do the crack climbing part of silence. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was that like to to prove something to yourself, or what? What was the what was the idea there, or did, or did you think you had a chance to to uh, downgrade? Uh, oh, I've, downgrade I've, I've absolutely route. no chance to climb that route ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, no way. But I was just, um, I mean, I'm really into crack climbing. Silence, <laughs> the hardest route in the world, has a five meter section of crack on it, and it, mm. and you can see Adam like foot jamming in there and stuff. So. Obviously, as a crack climber, I'm just very curious, uh, and because and because I was there, then it just you know made sense to go and have a look. I mean, why not? But yeah, I've, 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 you didn't you didn't go just to do that. No, no, I felt I felt like oh, a climbing okay. tourist that day, though. Right, you know, right, just like uh, yeah, like a tourist on silence, just like just check just checking it out, checking out the holds. Right, right, right. Yeah. How did it feel the crack climbing up there? Um, I mean, there were definitely there were definitely some jams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you could, like, within that short bit of crack section, then right. you could use some jams. Um, right. But there's a whole world of pain below that. Um, right, right, where, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where you have to be um, climbing as well as Adam. <laughs> Did you ever hear from him? From Adam, yeah. I, yeah, well, yeah. I, made, a, um, I made a little video. Uh, you might have seen it. Uh, of mm-hmm. yeah of, of going up there and i sent it to adam first actually just because yeah like i did only go up there for like a bit of a laugh and, and to have a fun so i didn't want to like be like treading on anybody's toes but i think adam has a good sure, sense sure. of humor anyway so yeah um yeah, yeah i sent it to him first just to double check <laughs> yeah 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 well he's probably was inspired by you on uh belly full of bad berries so um there you go yeah maybe like, <laughs> yeah it's pretty awesome that that was a that was a total treat to have in my opinion, to have him come and, and bother with Indian Creek, um, I think was a total treat and a, and a, and a really, uh, kind of awesome input to our climbing over here. Um, when the best sport climber in the world went down there and, and obviously in his media just had such a good time and, and was so challenged by it all was, was pretty exciting. Yeah. I think, I think the, the great thing about Adam is he, he is just absolutely up for anything. Like you'll mm-hmm. see him like in the Czech Republic, like crimping on some Ming in his back garden and then like trying crack climbing in Indian Creek and then big walling in Yosemite. And it's just like, he just psyched for everything. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that bridge arette that he did yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. That's super awesome. Yeah. Well, cool. So last question is, uh, you know, how's your pandemic? Oh, how's uh, what's the, what, what's this felt like for you as a climber and, um, and, you know, just in your life? Um, I mean, to be honest, I'm very lucky and grateful mm-hmm. that I'm I'm in the sort of position where it's. Uh, I mean, it obviously has affected me, and you know, as it's affected everybody, but it hasn't affected me in in a way that it's you know a life changing effect or you know like I've I've, I've lost anything massive, you, you could say. So I've, I'm very lucky in that situation. Yeah, for me, it's just been about learning and and doing different things like i've put some more effort and time into the wide boys business and uh, i started editing a few videos for uh because yeah i kind of got into that a little bit because i had had some more time right. and uh and the fingerboard has seen some more time yeah keep keep, keep going <laughs> right right no i mean it's a tricky question for climbers to be honest because it's like yeah a lot of our our 
you know, complaints are just annoyances um, compared to what what other people have dealt with in this thing. And so I know how it's sheepish to be like, yeah, this I'm so fucking sick of being stuck in my house or I can't go climbing. And then you step back and you're like, uh, dude, you know, relax on the complaining. So yeah. um, I, I understand a little bit of sheepishness with that with that question. A, a kind of early prediction that Andrew and I had was that like, when this, when sort of things do like fully open back up that, um, do you think there'll be like this, I mean, these people all training, you know, the way you and Tom have always trained, like s- stuck in your base basement or whatever, is it going to blossom into sort of a renaissance in, in like climbing grades? Um, yeah, maybe, and maybe crack climbing, maybe everybody's just been like building crack sellers and then we're going to see the next, right. the next generation of uh, crack climber. I have, I have been wondering this in sort of like maybe like the last year or something you know as because i'm i'm 29 now so you know i still have mm. a I still got a bit of life left in me but <laughs> but <Fuck you>. <laughs> <laughs> but um you know there's there's some very strong young people coming up and i think it's going to be really interesting and cool to see like the next person or generation of climber who's going to bring that new school strength but bring it to like trad climbing and crack climbing. I'm going to be interested to see who that is. And you guys probably have your finger on the pulse of who's got the serious crack training centers because you help them build them. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been yeah selling some crack volumes, so we know where those have gone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'd imagine like anybody who's super into it probably sends you their their videos like hey check this out look what i built yeah yeah we, we have a lot of videos sent to us yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so it's like you kind of have you guys know who's out there just like fiending on their crack training most likely but i haven't unless there's some dark horse that that hasn't bothered to tell anybody about yeah, it I... which in this day and age no one everyone bothers to tell everyone about everything so yeah yeah i i haven't seen any like you know that, that age of like Seven, uh, 16 17 18 19 20 you know the, the 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 late teens who is really coming through on like a world class trad climbing scene right. so i'm i'm yeah, excited yeah. to see who comes through i think it's good. it will happen but i feel like we're in a sort of olympic sport climbing stage at the moment so yeah yeah for sure yeah. no no we andrew and i've been complaining about how like all these 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 poor people who had to stick another year of training on their oh, schedule yeah. after cuz the olympics got like their their potential um you know they were they're supposed to like go to the olympics and then basically go out into the world and, and you know do the hardest thing yeah. so um we're still waiting for them but it's it's interesting what you just said because i've always talked about how like when i grew up in climbing like it was definitely climbing in general was like an adult thing to do um it was rare to see kids out there doing it because like sport climbing didn't exist bouldering was was not really a sport in and of itself um and in a lot of ways track climbing still exists on that level like um the idea of like a, I mean i see them in indian creek and stuff like but they're more goofing around but you know the idea of like a 13 or 14 year old taking track climbing as seriously as 13 and 14 year olds take like comp climbing maybe someday that'll happen but it it feels like a little bit of a leap because i mean as a parent myself i don't know if you are but um the idea of my kid like trad climbing on his own when he's like 13 or something, it doesn't sit well with me, to be honest <laughs> with you. So like the parent that's just like, here, here's this like, you know, serious gritstone route 
you know, like here's my 13 year old girl. I'm just going to have her send, you know, start sending. On yeah, it. maybe, like, maybe not quite in that sense. Like, <laughs> I mean, like Hazel was sort of like in a position because her dad was one of those guys. So uh, maybe he had a little bit more okay with it. But like, yeah, sending my kid up on any, I don't even like my girlfriend to climb trad. <laughs> I mean, she does and we climb it together, but I sit down there belaying her like totally gripped, <laughs> even though she's a completely good and competent trad climber like i'm like every piece you place i'm like oh my god is that good i wonder if that one's good does she know how to she know what she's doing like it's just a bad thing in my head um it's misogynistic in a way i guess but uh but my kid i can't imagine maybe i'll get there i don't know yeah 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 awesome pete thanks for uh thanks for connecting on the show all the way from uh merry old england or wherever you are where are you i'm in england sheffield yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're you're in the hub. Yeah, yeah. In Sheffield. In the hub. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you very awesome. much for uh, having me as well. It's been good. It's been good to chat. I think I told Tom this too, but I when you guys were were mucking around for the last few years down on the White Room, um, in a place where I used to eight climb, you know, down in the in Monument Basin, uh, I've got a couple like pile gross tower first ascents down there uh, from the '90s. But uh, I always imagined I would like get in my truck and drive down there and meet you guys. Um, and, and actually sit out there on the white rim and do this would have been a lot of fun, but, um, it never happened. And, and I just kind of got tired of waiting. So I'm glad we got this done now, even if we had to, had to connect remotely. Yeah, no, no, totally. Well, next time we uh, manage to actually get out to uh, the white rim, you'll have to come and climb some roof cracks with us. So, yeah, yeah I, I would love to actually join you guys climbing, uh, anytime you're over here in the desert and getting out with, uh, some of our mutual friends, I'd love to join you guys It is as much to hang out and sit around the campfire as, as to climb together. So, um, I hope we can do that. Let's cross our fingers that, uh, that stuff starts happening again soon. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Pete for sitting down. It was kind of cool to uh, to dip into Sheffield. Never been to that area of the world, but it's a mythical place, and I don't know why, but it just was kind of cool when I realized that Pete was there in the hub, the heartbeat of British climbing, Sheffield. So much legendary stuff coming out of there, just like Pete himself. Okay, before we go today, I want to thank everybody for sticking with the uh, NormaCast. Through 2020, through the horrors of 2020, we were together, and I appreciate the listenership, and also into 2021 and the ongoing pandemic. Feels like it's lightening up a little bit, but but who knows? We've got to stay vigilant. But anyhow, it's been nice to be together on this, the community sticking together around the Normacast and the climbing community, mostly doing the right thing, I feel like. So if you guys keep listening, I'll keep doing it. And of course, I hope you're getting out there and having some fun, getting that vitamin D. That vitamin D is, you know, if you're paying attention, it's becoming more and more important in this whole operation. Vitamin D, look it up. So get out there and get some. And of course, check your knot. If I were to ask you what your philosophy of life or your creed, what would that be? Have a good time.
time, all the time. That's my philosophy, Marty. <laughs> <laughs>